you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We will go this more to our Lord in prayer here. Almighty God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come and to worship you this morning. Father, in a time when things can sometimes seem out of control, it is a helpful reminder for our own hearts to remember that you are the sovereign Lord and that it is you who have set your king in Zion, who is reigning and ruling, and whose kingdom continues to advance and gain control. Lord, in the last few days, we have seen our area wrecked by tornadoes. We're just northwest of us and southeast of us. Saw disasters as these tornadoes came through. So, Father, Lord, we want to pray for those affected from Friday night's tornadoes. God, we pray for those that are grieving the loss of life, that you would comfort them. Lord, help these cities who lost everything. Lord, as they rebuild, give them hope and courage and strength. Help provide their needs. Lord, even as Southern Baptist teams are already mobilizing and on the ground doing disaster relief, we pray for them. Lord, help them to meet real needs and provide for those that are hurting. And Lord, help them to be able to point them towards the Lord of peace. Give them hope this Christmas in that. For though possessions may be gone, Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would find true identity and true hope in Jesus. God, will you do that work? God, we also want to pray for our, our brother and sister, James and Sonia, this morning. Lord, we pray for them as they are stateside and traveling and visiting family for Christmas, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give them much rest, and Lord, help them to be able to uh, enjoy uh, some downtime as a family, as they spend time with their children that are stateside. God, we also pray for them as they prepare to go back at the end of December, Lord, as they prepare to uh, plant new churches there in the islands of Lake Victoria there in Uganda, as they mobilize and continue to, to make disciples. God, we pray for them in this work. Be with them. Go before them. Be doing the work even now while they're away so that greater fruit and harvest may come as they return. God, we also want to be praying for our own time this morning. Lord, as various members uh, suffer different things and Lord, as COVID is, is making its way once more around, and Lord, so much to be weary from. But Lord, give us hope. Remind our hearts. Encourage our hearts this morning as we look to your King, who is on the throne. And may we find comfort in that. God, we pray and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 2 this morning. So it's going to be on the screen, or if you have your Bible before you, let's read Psalm 2 together. Why do the nations rage 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fear of saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy healed. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angered, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What a mighty God we have. As we think about this psalm, some things I want to help us see. Psalm 2 is one of, of several psalms that are known as a kingly psalm, a, a Messiah-type psalm. It's pointing towards the Messiah king that was to come. And it helps us even now, in 2021, as 2022 approaches, to be reminded here was the promises of this king that was to come. And it grounds us in hope. It grounds us in security. Why? Because it points us, this is the king we have. This is the king that is reigning in Zion. In particular, we'll see that here in Psalm 2 this morning. But it starts out in an interesting way. It starts out with that rhetorical question. It starts out asking a question that really knows the answer to. You know, this past week we uh, remember the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, a day in which we'll live in infamy. But as the Japanese had plotted, as they had schemed and raged against setting up the day in which they would attack Pearl Harbor, they thought they had everything put together. They thought they could strike by night as dawn approached. They thought they could destroy a fleet in order to rage against the United States. But one thing they knew, even in the moments following, did we just awake a sleeping giant? Did we bite off more than we could chew? No matter the plotting, no matter the plan they had, they realized, even in the moments following, we had just awakened this enemy against us. And we might not prevail. All the scheming, all the plotting, they caught us by surprise. And yet they realized how futile it was. Now, if the Japanese recognized that against a nation like the United States in the moments, why do the nations who plot and rage against an almighty not see the folly of their own attempts. If the America was a sleeping giant to the Japanese, how much more is the Almighty God in arousing him to defend his own cause? And that's what I hope we see in Psalm 2 and find comfort in that. 
Because no matter how much the nations and the peoples rage and plot, their attempts are pointless. So if I have studied this psalm correctly, I think this is the main point of Psalm 2. King Jesus has been set on the throne, and his dominion will spread to the ends of the earth. Therefore, declare your allegiance to him now. That's it. King Jesus has been sat on the throne, and his dominion will spread to the ends of the earth. Therefore, declare your allegiance to him now. We're going to unfold this in three points. Point number one, the nation's foolish raging and plotting. Point number two, the Lord's anointed king. And point number three, the call to allegiance. Let's look at point number one, the nation's foolish raging and plotting. Again, this Psalm 2 opens like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why? It already knows the answer to the question, but, but there's an astonishment to this. There's an astonishment that the psalmist, most likely King David, is asking, why are they plotting? Because he's astounded that some would even dare rage against the Lord. That they would dare plot against him. How? Why? Why do you even fathom trying this foolishness? That's the question being asked here. And it's not just a, a question of inquiry like, okay, what's going on here, nations? What's going on here, peoples? He, he's really wondering, why are you attempting this? It's futile. It's going to end badly. The rhetorical question, it, it expects, it knows the answer it's going to get. It's going to get their, their, their attempts are futile, they're hopeless, they're fortuitous. That's what it gets after the nations. But what it does for our Christian heart is hopefully encourage it, strengthen it. Here, no matter the nations raging, no matter the people's plotting against the Lord, their efforts are pointless. Their attempts aren't going to succeed because they are going up against the Lord Almighty. But notice how it goes on to, to look at this. In verse 2 it says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The kings of the earth lead the charge. The rulers take counsel together. So, so they're plotting. They're, they're setting up all of this. They're trying to, to align themselves, everyone against God and against his anointed. They're not just passively doing it. They're firmly planting their feet and saying, I'm, we're, we're, we're ready for war. We will stand against you, God. We want to stop you. But who are these nations? Who are these peoples? Is it just the enemies of Israel? Is Psalm 2 out of date already and, and it meant to be thrown out? No. Listen as I read from Acts 4, verse 23 through 28. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the nation, the Gentiles rage and the peoples fought in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It wasn't just David that the nations were raging and plotting against. They were raging and fighting against the King of Glory, King Jesus himself. John and Peter help us to understand what Psalm 2 is saying by applying it for us. They want to make clear that there in the death of Christ, the nations were raging against God's anointed King. They were raging against Jesus. And yet all of this happened according to the sovereign plan of the Lord. According to his plan, his purpose, nothing prevailed against him that he did not allow and predestined. Christian, do you hear the ringing of victory? Do you hear the shouts of comfort and refuge in that? We have refuge because nothing comes against our king. Nothing. The nations, the peoples, no matter their plots, no matter their voice, no matter how wise they think they are, cannot prevail. They cannot. No matter how much they want to throw God and his rule off, they cannot prevail against him. We find comfort in this. But notice exactly what they're trying to do. In verse 3, it goes on to say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The nations, the peoples, they don't want God's rule. That's what they're warring against. They do not want God's law ruling them. They want rid of it. They want to burst these, these bonds that have them held. They want free from all of Israel and her rule and her spreading. They've heard of all that God is doing through Israel. They think, we're going to stop out this God and this nation. They think they're going to burst them. Their wickedness. And yet, and yet, why is this? Spurgeon helps us here. He says, let it, the, the thought of, of the nations and peoples is this. Let us be free to commit all abominations. That's what's going on. They want to be free to commit their abominations. They want to be free to be their own gods, to rule their own hearts. Again, in all of this, in all of their raging, we see the futile of it. Spurgeon also goes on to say this. He says, The song begins abruptly with an angry interrogation, and well it may it is surely but little to be wondered at that sight of creatures in arms against their God should amaze the psalmist's mind. We see the heathen raging, roaring like the sea, tossed to and fro with restless waves as the ocean and a storm, and then we mark the people in their hearts imagining a vain thing against God. Where there is much rage, there is generally some folly, and in this case there is an excess of it. An excess of folly, Jesus. The nations, 
the peoples in their plight, in their attempts, are at best working in folly. Why? Because again, who are they opposing? They're opposing the Lord Almighty and his anointed king. So much so that it goes on in verse 4 to see that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. They're futile plots. They're, they're vain plots. God is sitting there laughing and mocking. You think you're going to come against me? Imagine the, the bully in school when he would pick on people. The, the hopes is they're going to back down by their size. The, the hope for the nations and the peoples are that they're going to cause Israel to back down by all their raging, by all their ferocity. And yet, the Lord is the one laughing. Do you think you are going to stop me, the Almighty who created you, who made you, in my image, you think you're going to oppose and win? No, sir. Your folly is challenged here by God as he sits and he mocks and he laughs. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 5, it goes on to say, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. He's going to speak in his wrath against them. As they fought, as they rage, he's going to speak in anger. But notice what he speaks. He says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy healing. It's done. His king is already in place. He's already set him there. So why do the nations think that they're going to have victory? Because God's got his king there, and they will not. And it goes on, as we'll see in our second point, to show why they will not. But the important thing for us to see right here in this moment is that God has set his king there. He's the one who set him there. He's the one who set Christ on the throne. So for any to think that they are opposing Jesus is to oppose God, to oppose the anointed king in which he has chosen, which he has placed there. That's who the nations and the peoples are plotting against. The nations have always opposed the people of Israel. Just think of the Philistines and how often they oppose David how much they oppose the nation of Israel. Think of that of, of Assyria and the Amorites and the other nations that have come against. Think of even Egypt as they sent the people away. Egypt changed their mind and began to chase after them. And God worked and had victory time and time again. Even on the cross, as we just saw it, as we ended Mark, the people thought they had defeated Jesus, and yet he arose defeating death and claiming the victory. Spurgeon once more goes on to add here. He says, look back through all the ages of infidelity, hearken to the high and hard things which men have spoken against the Most High. Listen to the rolling thunder of earth's follies against the majesty of heaven, and then think that God is saying all the while, yet I have set my key upon my holy hill of Zion. Despite every attempt, God has set his king there. Christian, take heart. 
if God has sent his king against these opponents, nothing, nothing will oppose his bride, the church. Nothing. The church will prevail time and time again. Her mission will continue to spread. She will continue to further the kingdom of God. That's a glorious thing. That of the opposition against God and his anointed has no chance. Why? Because the king of glory is set in Zion. But it's not just Zion that that king rules. His rule will spread to the ends of the earth. And that's where we turn at point number two. The Lord's anointed king. Look with me there at verse 7. It says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Today you are, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now this is a complex thing. This is where this psalm differentiates between the other psalms. Because most of the other psalms either focus on the humanness of the king or the divinity of the king. And yet right here we see that of the God king, the God-man's king. This can only be that of Christ. These promises were made to David, but they're fulfilled in Christ. And what's more, the New Testament helps us here. In Acts 13, 32 through 39, we read this from the Apostle Paul. It says, And we bring you the good news that when God promised to the fathers this, he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This Jesus is the Son, the begotten one. He is the one that was not created, not made, but he was of the Father. It is Jesus and Jesus alone here that has this right to ask the nations and they will be made his heritage and the ends of the earth and they will be his possession. Why? Because he alone is of God. He alone was not made. Brothers and sisters, we've read the Nicene Creed time a few times since I've been here over the past year. The Nicene Creed helps sum up what the rest of Scripture affirms. Jesus was not made. He always was. Listen to this part of the Nicene Creed. It says, In one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Why do I share this? Because we need to see 
Who is this king who sits in Zion? It's the very one of God, God himself. It is not just some mere man, some mere mortal. It is the king of glory. It is the son of God who came to us to save us from sins. He's the one on the throne. How much more will God ensure that his anointed is not despised and rejected if it's his own son? What certainty do we have in this king and the promises made to him? For what father likes to lie or reject his son? No. The father's promise here is certain because of who the king is. It's his son. And today he has begotten him. Today he has set him on the throne. He is reigning now. But not just in Zion. Look again with me at verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, in the ends of the earth your possession. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, in the ends of the earth your possession. Such a request. All the Son has to do is ask, and he will inherit it all to the furthest points of the earth. He will inherit it. And those that refuse, we know from Philippians 2, that they will still one day bow. Oh, do not bow now and kiss the hand of the Son in allegiance will still one day bow. That's the grand promise here given to Jesus. But this is not some futuristic thing for us. For those of you who were here Wednesday night, who got to hear what James and Sonia were doing, or James was telling us that their ministry is doing there in the islands of Lake Victoria, how the kingdom is growing and advancing. Guess what? This is Psalm 2.8 being played out. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. As James was telling us that they hope in 2022 to plant four new churches there. As over the last year, they've seen 70 give their lives to the gospel, making profession of faith, to believe in Jesus alone for salvation. This is the kingdom advancing. This is the nations being inherited by Jesus himself. This promise is right here, right now. Brothers and sisters, God is advancing his kingdom through the Son, through his King, every time the gospel goes forward. This is happening not just only in the islands of Lake Victoria. This is happening in the heart of the Middle East. It's happening in places like the United Arab Emirates. It's happening in China. It's happening in North Korea. It's happening in Iraq, Iran. As the gospel goes out, people are declaring their allegiance to King Jesus right now. All through the power of the gospel. And because the nations are already being given to him. We know from Revelation that there will be those presents around the throne for eternity in heaven, from every tongue of every tribe of every nation. This is also futuristic. There will not be nations and peoples that will forever resist the Lord. Though they may rage, though they may be plotting, the Lord will break them, and they will submit gladly. They will believe in Jesus wherever the gospel is proclaimed. That's why we go. Brothers and sisters, if you've not already, I encourage you 
and then to give into the Lottie Lou Christmas offering because that is one way we further this prayer of Psalm 2a. Ask of or ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. We do it by going, by mobilizing and sending others to go. That's one way we do this. And may it be our very part cry, even here at Central City Baptist Church. May this be a regular prayer of us. Ask of the Lord that he would make the nations the heritage of King Jesus. That's one reason we want to pray for the nations on a regular basis, whether it's the pastoral prayer or on Wednesday night. I encourage each of you, make a habit, whether it's getting a copy of Operation World or going to Joshua Project. Be praying for the nations. Be praying that even now the Lord would be taking them, that they would be bowing and confessing their allegiance to Jesus. Because God is not a God who simply wants the Israelites and Americans to believe. He wants the nations to believe. He wants the heart of every people and tongue and tribe and nations. And he, yes, indeed, as we see in verse 9, he shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. For all who remain resistance to him, they will not prevail. The king of glory, the king, the begotten son, will reign. He will be victorious. None will oppose him. That's terrifying if you stand against Jesus. But oh, how so comforting it is for us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to wonder when everything seems to be going astray, when everything seems upside down, we're on the winning side. Our king will win. Even there, as we'll turn to momentarily, is going to warn the nations, the kings, to be wise. Why? Because he will. His wrath is going to be quickly kindled. It's going to uh, turn against them. He's going to be angry and they're going to perish in the way as we see there in verse 12. Because it's good news that we just keep pressing on. We keep holding and finding our refuge in Christ and finding comfort in that. When death strikes, when tornadoes happen, when nations plot and rage against the Lord, when peoples begin to mock and try to malign us for our faith, we do not need to take action to take refuge in the Lord. Why? Because the victory is already his. We keep pressing on because we rest with the King. We are alive with the King of glory. My comfort and hope in that Christian in the midst of weariness, because he is the king of peace. He's the prince of peace, even as our scripture reading from Isaiah 9 says. He's the wonderful counselor, and this is our king, the king of glory. But what do we do as we wait? Well, that's where we turn in point three, the call to allegiance. First off, if you are here and you are one that is plotting and raging against the Lord. Maybe you're not digging your heels in, but you're resistant to his rule and his law. You right now, my friend, are raging against the Lord because you do not want to be under the Lord. You do not want him to be your king. Declare your allegiance now. Be wise. Be warned. 
your attempts to resist are falling. Or maybe you have a loved one at home who is resisting the gospel. See that their very hearts are raging against God in their rebellion. They're not just sitting there making poor decisions. They're sitting there raging against God and his rule. Therefore, that's why we need to keep sharing the gospel with them. Because right now, their end is that of falling. It's that of destruction. Share the gospel. Repent. Kiss the sun. Declare that of allegiance now while there's still time. That's what we need to be working for, and that's what you need to do, friend, if you have yet to believe in Jesus. Kiss the sun. That, that's paying homage, declaring utter allegiance to. You would go before a royal king and bow and kiss his hand in that swearing of allegiance. That's what it's saying here. Make that declaration. And brothers and sisters, if we're in Christ, we've already made that declaration. We've already sworn that allegiance to him, to trust in him. But then if we have made that allegiance, then we need to continue to serve the Lord. It says there in verse 11, it says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have made our declaration and our allegiance known to Jesus, we serve the Lord with fear by remembering who he is, by having that reverential awe. This is the Lord, the Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is the one who will have victory that none will oppose. We fear and tremble rightly before him because we know who he is. We find refuge in him. As much as we're called to fear him, to serve him with that fear, there in verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in him. What better one is there for us to find refuge in than the one who we fear, the one who is sovereign, the one who rules over it all? That's our hope, brothers and sisters. Not whether or not America turns back to the, the right side of morals. Our hope isn't in things going smoothly. It's in the refuge of the Almighty, the King, the one who set his own king on the throne to rule. That's our refuge. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of it all, that's where we find our hope. How can I sit here in the midst of having hope when a family member dies? It's because I know the King of glory. The king who sat on the throne and the victory is his. Yes, death seems to still bite and strike, but death's time is coming to an end. Even that great enemy of death will be no more. His time is limited because the king will win. He will dash death even to pieces as it rages on. We find comfort in that. We rejoice with trembling there at the end of verse 11. We rejoice because of the hope we have in Jesus, the hope that we have in our King. So brothers and sisters, as things continue to seem hard, as illness, as death strike, as turmoil strikes, as more and more oppose us simply by declaring that we're Christ believers, we don't fight. We don't worry. We don't panic. We take refuge in our God because He is the Almighty. Refuge is in Him, and His King is already on 
Zion. And David would say this, brothers and sisters, take comfort in that. If you heard nothing else, take comfort in that. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are and your goodness to us. Father, thank you for showing us grace in Jesus. And Father, thank you for knowing that our King will have victory and nothing shall prevail over him. God, help us as we come to see this morning, our clothes and singing this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing our final song, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Thank you. 